Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm not that tall. If I stood back here, no one would see me. But before I joined SA, that's probably what I would have done is hidden. My name is Pat. I'm a deaf sexaholic. Hi, Pat. Hello, everyone. My daily motto is life is full of surprises. And today, you were my surprise. Wow, what a room. Give yourselves a a hand. Maybe two or three days before World War II, and I don't mean to say that I caused World War II, don't get me wrong. Uh, I was born. I was born in Kansas. And before I say much more about my story, uh, you might be very impressed that I'm a a man with a woman's voice. (laughs) You'll get used to it. (laughs) But I have to say, the two interpreters who came here today drove from Rochester to interpret for us, and I'm very grateful to them. And remember, the interpreters are here not just for me, but for all of us, so we can all communicate together. So don't hesitate to come up and see me. Come and talk to me. They've given me a very short time to talk this evening, so I I want to divide my talk into two parts. I'd like to talk a little bit about what it was like growing up, and then I want to talk about what it was like after I joined SA. As I said, I was born in Kansas. I was right next door to Dorothea and Toto. You might have heard of them. They're very famous. But before I came here today, I was, I was really thinking, I believe that my feelings of fear and feelings of inferiority that I've had all my life growing up, despite the fact that I grew up in a wonderful family, but maybe I had a family that was too full of women. My father was away in the army. Oh. 
And that left me as the only boy in a house full of women. I have three, well, two deaf sisters, one hearing sister, and my mother. My two sisters were 12 and 13. So they were gone away to boarding school at the Kansas School for the Deaf. So they were gone and stayed at the school, which the deaf students did. Like I said, it was a boarding school. And when I was five, I did the same. But when I was, before that, I was at home with the women. And uh, I had a security blanket. And I had a lot of fears. Why? I have no idea. But I did, and I needed my security blanket. At one point, my mother tried to hide my blanket, and I spent a lot of time looking for it. I never found it, but then I started chewing my nails. And I did that until I went to school at five. Now, at school, there was a boys' dorm and a girls' dorm. So we were separated by gender, and I you know, lived in a world full of boys then once I got to school. I did experience uh, a rape at the age of maybe nine or ten. That experience caused me to have feelings of guilt, shame. I struggled. My family is Catholic. And I felt that God was going to be very angry with me, so I carried a great burden of guilt. I didn't have my security blanket. I couldn't chew my nails much at school. And so I used sex from, the, from that age of 9 or 10 up until the age of 57, I came into this program. So all those years... That was my security blanket. I had feelings of shame and guilt. I think four or five times during those years, I had an intense feeling of just wanting to run away and start a new life. I wanted to have a clean beginning. I I remember when I was a kid growing up in school, I... I had a point where I wanted to transfer to another school, and I thought that would give me a beginning for a new life, but I was not permitted to do that. I stayed at the School for the Deaf, which, honestly, I went to a wonderful school. The the School for the Deaf was a place where deaf children could develop so many skills in leadership, acting, social skills. We had a very full life. But because of my shame and guilt, I wanted to run away from that wonderful life. Luckily, I didn't have that opportunity. Many times we would go into the city bus, which we considered the big city, and looking for action. And sometimes the police stopped me. And I couldn't respond to what the police were asking me because I'm deaf. And so they would leave me alone. And five or ten minutes later, I would go back to the same place. Now, after I graduated, I went to college. I went to college in Washington, D.C., which was my new place. I thought, well, here it is. I give up the sex. And from this point forward, I'm going to have a new life. Fingers crossed, here we go. Well, that lasted about two weeks. 
I was right back at it. And, and I didn't want to... I didn't want to act out on campus, so I would make my way into D.C., and I frequented parks and uh, public restrooms, the library, the restroom in the library. I went to bookstores. I went to bathhouses. I went to bars. I went in search of something that I was looking for. Now, being deaf, I'm very dependent on my eyes, so I would try to make eye contact with people in hopes of that connection that I was looking for. I would look at people in parked cars hoping to make eye contact, just hoping that somehow I would get this connection. And when I didn't, I would feel terrible. I would say, nobody wants me. It was a real struggle. Later on, I became a professional actor. I joined a troupe in Connecticut. And I moved again, and, I, and again I thought, oh, here's my new life, a clean slate. Well, about two weeks later, right back at it with my old behaviors. And I'm sure you're very familiar because lust doesn't care where we are. Once again, I struggled with lust. And lust doesn't care if you're hearing or if you're deaf, if you're a man or a woman, lust does not care who you are when it's in control. I struggled mightily. I traveled the world, which gave me many opportunities to search for what I was looking for. It was exhausting. There were several times where I did make a little escape, but it didn't last for long. And it led me to a horrible sense of depression. And I thought, how am I ever going to get out of this? I went to see priests for confession. That didn't help. I went to see a psychologist. That didn't help. I went to someone who analyzed dreams. <laughs> you know, and that didn't help. And everybody said, you're okay. You're fine. Don't worry about it. But inside, the struggle continued. That went on until... Well, 1996. Well, let me say, my last stop was Rochester, New York, because I had a job teaching with deaf students there in Rochester. At the same time, I was studying to become a deacon in the Catholic Church. So that means I'm supposed to be celibate. Yay, you know, there's my, now I'm going to do it. I'll, now I'll have my clean slate. Uh, it lasted about two weeks. <laughs> Once again, there I was, back in the same old pattern. But in 96, as Tom said, we met. December... 21st, 1996, Tom asked me, are you willing to give up sex? And I had to think about that. And I, I thought to myself, maybe I'll just try to please Tom and say yes. But at the same time, I thought, why not give myself a Christmas gift of stopping? And then I thought, can I? Can I give up sex? And again, I was struggling. I needed help. 
many of the members of SA were not ready for me because having me join meant an interpreter who wasn't a member was going to come. They wanted me to find an interpreter who was an SA member, but there wasn't one. I mean, maybe there is one somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. But the only ones we had in Rochester were not SA members. Now, I have to say I really appreciate having interpreters in, uh, in my meetings because I finally had access to the SA Fellowship. From that point forward, I learned something very important. Sex is optional. I don't have to do it, and I don't have to go see priests or psychologists or dream analysts or anyone else. I can just go to my home group, which is where I find that I'm not alone. I'm able to meet with other people who have the same experiences that I do. Now, for a couple of years, it you know, took me some time to feel completely uh, at home in my home group, but I did eventually, and I've been there 20 years now, so I'm 20 years old, I consider myself, despite the fact that physically I'm 77. But the growth I've had in my home group is phenomenal. I feel at home in my own body. I have a sense of hope. I absolutely love going to meetings. I, I can't share myself fully at church, not like I can in a meeting. Nowhere in the world can I share myself in the same way as when I go to meetings. It's such a beautiful answer for us, and it's a beautiful answer for me. Today we use texting to communicate, and I do uh, text with other SA members, so I have that contact outside of meetings. There are a few members who come over to my home regularly, including my sponsor. We do a book study together by reading and then writing back and forth. Imagine, we, I've kept the stack of notes through this 20 years. <laughs> Wait, I should publish it, right? <laughs> I could. I, I could make a bunch of money. No, I would never do that. <laughs> In Rochester, well, let me say, people often ask me, you know, well, I didn't want to move to Rochester in the first place. I wanted to live in Washington, D.C. It's a bigger city, and Rogers, Rochester's not much to talk about, but, but I believe that God put me in Rochester for a reason, because that is where I found gold. I found my treasure in Rochester. I found recovery. Over 20 years, I've wanted to come to the national or international conference, and it was a dream of mine all this time, and today I am. I'm here with you. And as I look out across the room and see all your faces, my heart is just pounding. I'm full of life, and it doesn't matter that I'm 77. I feel 20. <laughs> I'm, I'm young at heart. 
And I look forward to meeting everyone here tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday when we're together again Sunday morning. And I, and I just want to ask you to do uh, me a favor. Can you just, by a uh, show of hands, does any, who knows sign language? Who knows some sign language? One, two, anybody else? Three, four, five, six. All right. Wow. I want to thank you. For listening to my story, I want to thank our interpreters here the, tonight. Oh, and I have some more time. Wait. Well, do you want me to say more? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> well. <clears throat> okay. I'm a retired professor. Last week, I was in Rockford, Illinois. I was teaching there, and I was there for a week. I was teaching uh, deaf lectures to interpreters about how to take a written script like the Bible, uh, a text, and translate it into American Sign Language. More and more deaf people have access to spiritual life today. But I have to admit, in that one week, I didn't even think once, where could I meet someone? I never once, it never once crossed my mind, where could I go to act out? And imagine, I flew here to Newark uh, for a different workshop last month, and I got stuck in the airport. I was in, in the airport for eight hours, and my plane kept getting delayed. But never once did I think, where can I go act out? It never even occurred to me. And when those moments happen, I know that for me today, sex, sex really is optional. And this program has given me my freedom. I believe <clears throat> that SA and SNON are God's gifts to us. We are no longer stuck. We have one another. And since I have a little time left, I have an idea. If anybody has a question for me, you could ask it. So if anybody has a question, I want to invite you now, and the interpreter will interpret it to me. If anybody has a question, I welcome it. So you already know all about me. You don't need, you don't need to ask anything? Nothing. Is anybody out there? Okay. Here, we have a question over here. What's the hardest thing you've had to go through in recovery? For me, it's my anger. I, sp I had a lot of frustration growing up. I felt ashamed and guilty, as I have said. 
And every time I got angry, I would blow up. And I think when I got angry, it would trigger my lust. Now, when I didn't feel comfortable with my anger, I would run away and go to a bathhouse or a bar or someplace and express that. When I stopped doing that, at first, and you know, being deaf, again, my eyes are the most important portal to my life. My ears really don't matter. I don't care about them, but my eyes are, are critical. And so I would make eye contact with people and, and when I was no longer doing those behaviors and I got angry, you know, in the past I would walk out in, in the park or out on the street and searching with my eyes for some relief, trying to make contact with people. But my, my sponsor encouraged me not to seek eye contact but look away. And I'm used to trying to make that eye contact and I, I had to learn to look away from other people and, and, my anger, honestly, I would say it took me, well, about two years ago, I got very angry with my priest. And so this surfaced again, and I thought, you know, I've been in the program long enough, 18 years at that point, I shouldn't have anger anymore. However, that experience of anger at that time was also a gift. It taught me that I've never graduate from this program. Yeah, I can't, I can't graduate from this. I have to keep taking my inventory. I have to keep talking about my anger in meetings. And now my anger is of course much less. Plus I think age helps. I'm 77, so my sex drive is not the same as it used to be. But again, that diminished sex drive is a gift. I used to think, oh no, if that, when, I go, when I'm old, that'll go away. And now, I'm happy about it. <laughs> so, you know, when I, if I had been, it, I, I, w I went bald very young. I wasn't happy about that either. <laughs> I would say, oh no, nobody would want, will want me. But now, I enjoy being bald. I don't have to buy hair products. I don't have to wash my hair. I could buy a little tiny travel size that lasts me a long time. So uh, these things are gifts. Today my anger is a gift and it's a chance to turn it over and then count my blessings. Gratitude is something I practice every day, every morning and every evening. During my prayer time, I always count at least three blessings. So what are my blessings? I have to really think about that. And as long as I have those blessings, I'm not completely lost. So does that answer your question? Very good. Okay. Yes, back there. What's the most helpful thing that you can do uh, to help me is learn sign language. <laughs> All of you. Seriously. 
Number one, learn a little bit of sign language. But if you don't know any sign language, we have interpreters here. Come up and talk to me. Don't be afraid. You know, communication is the oil between us, the, the grease that smooths the wheels of communication. And if a thousand of you see me one time, I, I would feel sorry for the interpreters if everybody came up at once. That'd be a lot of work. <laughs> but, you know, even if the interpreters aren't here, we can write back and forth. Keep in mind, English is not my first language. American Sign Language is my first language. So... I did major in English in college, however. So I write fairly well. And I do love to read. One of my great escapes that I sometimes struggle with is spending too much time with books. But I have found books as a way for me to have maybe not complete access to the hearing world at large, but some access. I would love the idea someday of everyone learning sign language. That's my dream. I think we have time for one more. We have another question? I just want to thank you for the idea when a cop pulls me over. <laughs> do, do, do you know there's a joke about that? There's a deaf man driving. And he picks up a hearing hitchhiker. The hitchhiker gets in the car with him, and they get pulled over by the police. The deaf person indicates he can't hear, and the police officer is taken aback and lets him go. Doesn't give him a ticket. Later on, they're driving, and the deaf person is tired, and he lets the hearing hitchhiker take a turn at the wheel. So he's driving along, and what do you know? Another police officer comes and pulls them over and the police officer and he, the, he tries to pretend he's deaf and the, the cop starts signing to him <laughs> yes he was busted in more ways than one alright thank you very much I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.